Insight Peterborough is off and running for 2020. Yes, and Happy New Year to everybody, and welcome to Insight Peterborough, which is a project of the local chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind, and uh, we're having our meeting this coming um, Thursday at the Alliance Centre uh, between 10.30 and 12.30, so if you want to find out more about CCB, uh, all you have to do is send an email to ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. All right, we have a busy show. Yeah. Um, so um, because this is the beginning of the uh, new year, why don't we start with Diana Crawl and what are you doing New Year's Eve? When the bells all ring and the horns all blow and the couples we know are fondly kissing Will I be with you Or will I be among The missing
All right. All right. That was Diana Krall with What Are You Doing New Year's Eve? And hopefully everybody had a happy, enjoyable holiday season and a happy New Year. Well, January 4th was World Braille Day, and I know we're a little bit late celebrating it, but I think it's worth it anyway, because there are some of us who wouldn't know what to do if we didn't have Braille. And uh, I've, we've got a whole panel here with us. Um, we have, uh, if you listen on a Tuesday morning, you'll hear John and Lynn Morris with uh, their show. What's it called, John? Country Spotlight. Okay, yeah. And then we have uh, Deborah Thomas, who has been on our show several times already. Hi, Deborah. How are you? I'm just fine. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I hope that um, uh, everybody will be able to be picked up because uh, we've got uh, six people in here and three microphones. And we also have Justin Evangelo, who has a show on Friday afternoon at... One o'clock? Correction, Devin. It's actually Tuesdays from Two? 1 to one thirty. Oh. It changed because of my semester, but uh, oh. it's great to be on your show. I listen every week. Okay. And it's called Disenabled, so glad to have you there, Justin. Thank you. Uh, Kate, um, to start this subject of uh, discussion of Braille, I have a confession. Uh-oh. <laughs> Shock value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my confession is that when I heard about the uh, letters to Santa Claus that you could send to H-O-H-O-H-O, I was awfully tempted to send Santa a letter in Braille. (laughs) And uh, I only found out, I, I actually resisted the temptation, but I only found out this past year that actually children can send Letters to Santa in Braille as long as they send them in early enough so that CNIB can um, interpret uh, uh, Braille into print for Santa. Terrific. Uh, Gavin? Yeah. Years ago, my brother helped Santa out when he came to my house because Santa didn't know how to use a Brailler. So my brother got my brailler, put paper in it, he did that well, and he tried to write me a note in braille. I had it for many years. Problem is, I couldn't read it. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh-oh. Yeah. All right, so I thought while while we were here, one thing we could uh, talk about is um, how useful was Braille to you as uh, as children. Um, uh, Debbie, maybe we could start with you, can we? Sure. Um, I attended the Ross McDonald School for the Blind and I learned Braille when I was in grade one. I had a lot of trouble with it though. I, I didn't like it. I tried to resist in, and get out of uh, reading because I was diagnosed with uh, dyslexia when I was 21 of course it was too late then to do <laughs> to do anything but about it but um, Braille was and still is very important um, because I find that now that I've I've really uh, pushed myself and fortunately for myself I had the help of my uh, my grandmother who was blind and my mom who, is, who was at the time partially blind, she uh, really um, encouraged me and pushed me to keep up my reading. And I'm so glad that she did because I, I read and read and read and read. And um, I find that it's important to have contact with the written word if, if you can. And I personally, I find when I read Braille, I can memorize more about a book that, uh, that I'm reading. 
And today I have on my wrist a, a bracelet that I got from the CNIB when I retired from uh, my job at the, at the switchboard. And it's a bracelet and uh, has the Braille alphabet. Each letter is a, is a, uh, uh, a letter of the, the Braille alphabet. Okay. And uh, talking about uh, Santa Claus and, and the likes, I sat down and I wrote a couple of Braille letters to some uh, uh, singing groups that I liked. And one uh, happened to have been um, the, uh, the Rovers, the Irish Rovers, <laughs> who were out, uh, out in B.C. at the time. And I guess, uh, uh, well, my dad uh, underscored it. And um, somebody from the CNIB, I guess, helped one of their agents sort of uh, translate it. And the, uh, the Rovers wrote, uh, well, they wrote, uh, of course, a printed letter back to me. And somebody from the the Braille transcription department, I guess, at uh, in BC, they brailled what they uh, what the Rovers wrote to me. So that was That's really cool. wow. that was really 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 special. Yeah. So that's great. So, uh, John, uh, how useful has, was Braille to you when, when you were going to school? Extremely useful. I. Um, like like uh, Deb, I went to W. Ross and I learned Braille, or Braille at grade one, and um, I love it. I think, contrary to popular belief, amongst some of the younger folks, Braille is a passe a passe uh, tool. It is not. Braille is still very, very widely used. Yes. Um, in fact, I know of a couple of restaurants in town that still have full Braille menus. One of them being uh, uh, the fish place, uh, Red Lobster. Jack, Jack? Oh, Red, Red Lobster. Lobster. Oh. They have a full volume of Braille. So it's it's a great thing. I loved it because I was able to read and I could, like if dad or mom asked me a question when I lived at home, I could talk and I could still read <laughs> and uh, keep, keep, you know, keep up with the book. I loved reading Braille. And you know, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to mention uh, there, uh, John, that if you go to an elevator, you'll find Braille yep, yes, symbols, yep. and there's a lot yep. of places out anywhere you might go that you might find a Braille symbol yep. to give you directions. Absolutely. Yeah. And now, Justin, there's uh, uh, this microphone. Okay. I have my own mic down. Oh, okay. I don't know if it's turned on or not. Uh, I hope yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay, it is. Yeah. Um, right. Justin, you did not go to uh, W. Ross. I did not. Did you? No, I learned Braille actually from a very young age. I'll give you a quick autobiography of me. I started learning actually with dominoes, and it was my late grandfather, Tony Gilmore, who. Uh, first thought that if I couldn't read print that I should basically get my fingers used to the idea of tactility. So what he did was he bought me some dominoes with holes in them just to get me used to it. Then I went, uh, I actually went to St. Francis of Assisi Catholic Elementary in Newcastle, Ontario, and I had an educational assistant and a teacher, uh, a site teacher, Ann Lands, and uh, together... Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know that name, don't you, John? And uh, together with my educational assistant, Elaine Austin, they were tirelessly to uh, teach me the, the code of bumps. And that's paid dividends. Uh, early on, my reading level was far inferior to all of my peers. And I was getting increasingly frustrated because up until around grade two, um, I, I, I wanted to prove to the teacher that I could read the hard books. And then around grade th three, four, and this is common for, for most Braille users who go through uh, the typical education system and, and don't go to, say, a specialized school like W. Ross, their reading level, because Braille takes a little bit longer to learn, from what I've heard, is a little slower in the beginning, and then it just 
takes off exponentially when they get into the middle and higher grades. And I'm so glad. I, I wanted to learn the code, and I, I was so hungry to, once I learned the alphabet, I got so bored with it, I can remember in about grade two, that I wanted to learn all the contractions at once. And then I got, <laughs> I got very confused um, as yeah. to what they were, and so I was told to slow down and, and take it one contraction at a time. Uh, nowadays, I, I can't express how great Braille is to me because of the fact I can sit down with a with a Braille book, what the Sella Library is doing, a Center for Equitable, Equitable Library Access is doing because of the extra funds from the federal government uh, to produce personalized Braille books to keep on your bookshelf. Although your family members may grumble that it takes up a lot of space, um, certainly pays off in the long run because you can literally sit down with the book and you, it's right, you're right, you retain much more when you're reading a physical copy of a book uh, as opposed to sitting down and reading digitally, which I have to do for a lot of uh, my university classes. I'm a freshman at, at Trent right now. And you, you just don't retain as much. And also, too, you feel like you're part of the story if you choose to read fiction as you're flipping the pages. The personal experience, it's just, it's, it's part of, well, it's psychological as well as uh, physical. To, to have that book in on your lap as you're flipping through the pages, no matter how cumbersome it may be to put in a bag and travel around with it, um, is, is undeniable. And then there's also the aspect that was mentioned by John, too, of, um, and I think Bob as well, of having the elevator signs and stuff. In fact, I think Braille has, has sort of been put more into the mainstream, and to call it sort of passe or a waste, um, not only is incredibly insulting, it's also incre incredibly ignorant because of the implications it holds. Absolutely. You know, uh, also there's uh, audio books, and uh, there's also the uh, lending library at the CNIB. Mm -hmm. I'm not just too sure uh, what they're, they're doing these days, but they used to send out tapes uh, years yeah. ago. It, they're, they're CDs now, or sometimes you can get a digital download depending yeah. on your account. And Bless them. They've got the uh, the uh, electronic braille in it. With, yes, yes. With the electronic uh, braille devices, uh, you know, there's there's really no excuse not to read braille. <laughs> really, there isn't. I, I, you know, I carry my my braille edge around with me, and it's a note taker and a large document reader. And uh, even though I sometimes don't need it when I've got it with me, it's it's handy if I. I need to take uh, information down, can braille it, and then I can uh, read it back to myself and uh, put it on braille paper if uh, you know the, the, the need arises and and stuff like that. And it's uh, you know I I speak very very highly of the electronic braille devices mm -hmm. because I have problems with my with my back and my shoulders, and I thought for sure I was going to have to give up braille reading. But then when I found out about the, uh, the, the Braille devices, uh, the, like the Focus devices and the, uh, and the Braille Edge, and this new device, the uh, Focus 40 Blue 5th generation, this is what I'm looking forward to getting sometime this month. And uh, they're very portable, they're very light in weight, you can uh, you know, take them with you. I uh, use my Braille Edge a lot at the, uh, a lot at the church, uh, I ended up in the hospital one night for about four hours, and boy, was I ever glad I had that braille. <laughs> Just laying on a bed, waiting for the nurse to come in, take my blood pressure. Oh, my God. So uh, I was reading a good story, and uh, my braille edge was, uh, it came in so handy for me that day, was I ever glad. That's funny. John, do you uh, find that you use braille in your adult life? Yes, I, um, I use the braille edge. Some I still use my um, embosser. Boy, do the neighbors love that. <laughs> Folks, it, if you've never heard, oh man, yeah, sounds like rapid fire machine gun. <laughs> and it, and if you've got multiple pages. Oh boy, it's it's something else. But there again, Devin, the technology has changed so much. 
In the old days, my first one, the Romeo Pro 50, it would actually shake the table. Like it would, it would actually make the table shake. <laughs> but this, these newer ones, they're a little quieter, but not much. And thank God, mine is um, double-sided, so it doesn't take near as long to do it. I remember uh, when those metal brailers, you could hear them. They would clunk away and clunk away. Hmm. Are they all passe now, those big old metal Irish Calvin typewriters? Oh, no. I got to get mine fixed. I've had mine for 46 years. Yeah, me too. And it's now starting to really tighten up. I don't know if there's anywhere that I know what's wrong with it, but I can't fix it. I got one, too. It's a nice Perkins. I've had it for about five years. Oh, yeah, Perkins, yes. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah a nice right. metal clunker that weighs about <laughs> yeah. 20 pounds every yeah, time you carry right. it. It feels like a brick on your arm. Yeah, yeah they come in handy, especially oh, with, with jot this. note taking and stuff like that. But it's a long way from your braille edge, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. And, uh, and a whole lot noisier than the braille edge or the pocket guide. <laughs> Justin, when, when you were learning uh, Braille, mm-hmm. I don't know how closely I am. To That's close enough. Yep. Uh, when you were learning uh, uh, Braille, did uh, because you're a fair bit younger than any of the rest of us, <laughs> did, did you use a pocket guide? I didn't. Um, no, I actually, I when I tried to learn by stylus, because it's something I picked up on my own and out of curiosity, I found it so cumbersome and so laborious that they said, okay, you know what, forget it. Just stick to the brailler and then we'll buy you an embosser and download Duxbury onto your laptop so you can run your notes off and whatnot. Uh, to this day, I when I have to use it, I will, but I'm definitely not proficient. Uh, definitely not proficient with that instrument. <laughs> I should I should maybe explain to those who don't know anything about Braille. If you think of a pen and paper the uh, pocket guide and stylus are pretty much equivalent to that. But there again, you get the tick, 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 tick as uh, people, as you're writing Braille. And uh, I've had people um, accuse me of playing with beads and uh, <laughs> stuff, uh, you know, when, when I was taking uh, notes um, uh, at seminars and that sort of thing. Uh, But at that point, um, that was the quietest thing that was available. And then the brailler or braille writer is uh, more equivalent to a typewriter. And um, you know how noisy those could be if if you're 40 or older or maybe 30 or older, you know how noisy um, a typewriter and therefore a brailler could be. And uh, just in the past few years, they've come out with, as Debbie uh, mentioned, the Braille Edge or displays, Braille Mm -hmm. displays. There are several types uh, available, and they're fairly quiet. Yep. (laughs) So so when when you uh, take notes now at Trent, um, uh, Justin, um, do you record your seminars or lectures, or do you take Braille notes? My system works because I'm new to the whole game. I'm still ironing out the kinks, obviously, to what best suits me. So far, I have been using uh, something called a Plex Talk, and ah. it's it's a little recorder has an SD card. You stick it in, you record your lectures, and it's got per SD card depending on how long it, uh, how much storage it has. Sorry. Uh, you've got about 60 hours of lecture on there, which is terrific. I've looked into the device you're talking about, that the quieter version of the Braille, let's say, the Braille note taker, and it, it just wasn't for me. If I'm going to make any notes, I love the Brailler because I usually keep it in my dorm room. Um, yeah. It's not something I'm going to lunk around, and I have a computer fully equipped with JAWS, Microsoft Word, and all the note-taking software and programs I could ever imagine to sustain me within the lecture and seminar environment. And like I said before, the the brailler for me now, it, it hasn't become irrelevant, but it's become less relevant. I only write the super condensed, important information for all my notes and lectures that I need uh, on the brailler in my dorm room. So I'm not disturbing people as much, although I do get complaints from both my neighbors. 
that noise is coming through the wall. <laughs> Justin, uh, is there such a thing as a computer braille printer? Well, that's the embosser John talked about. Okay. So, yes, there is, and uh, they're they are making them quieter. They're trying to, anyway. Uh, when I was going through high school, they had, they, uh, they had. Well, I had a, a Romeo attaché. It's a little, looks like a little suit, square suitcase, and it's not very loud. And then my Brailleist, who helped uh, transcribe a bunch of work for me into Braille, which I've now moved away from, in high school. Um, she had a Tiger Max, and that thing made a lot of noise. It sounded like it was ripping the paper right out, right out of the machine. So uh, that would be the equivalent of uh, a, a Braille printer because it, it brails exactly what you have on the document. Otherwise, uh, would you have to have special paper as well for that? Yes. yes, you have to have Braille paper. You buy it by the, the bundle, and it's perforated. And it's expensive. <laughs> it is. Uh-oh. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah, the braille displays and the uh, note takers, and you almost have to sell, you know, to uh, sell your house and your land. And <laughs> yeah. Braille. So, so the last question that I have um, is one that many of us get: Isn't braille passe? Um, <laughs> really, Debbie, I've never once had someone ask. Actually, yes, I have. Is that right? I'm lying. De- De- Debbie, <laughs> let's hear what your answer is. Braille will always have a place. Um, you know, there's the thought that uh, with the younger folks that are, are going through school, they they can just use a computer and, uh, you know, if they want to, they can do that. But Braille is still very, very widely used. And like I said uh, uh, earlier, with the electronic devices, there really isn't any excuse not to learn Braille. Um, I, I think it's. Um, I think it is. Uh, it, it should be taught in in schools. I think the uh, the kids should be uh, exposed to it, and uh, learn to just get the feel of it. Mm. You know, you may not be able to read it, and that's okay too. But uh, the opportunity should be there. How and many How many books can you put on that? Device you're talking Real, about? Well, I got about 45. Whoa. And it's all on an SD card. Oh, yeah, uh, okay. You download it from the, uh, the, the, the library, the electronic Braille. If it's a text file or, or a Braille file, you're fine. And, uh, you know, you just, after you download it, you can just place it into the device and you would just call up uh, the, the file that you want. In my case, uh, you know, I would just I do, do a search. With the uh, the Braille Edge is kind of like a little computer. Yeah. Do a little search, and then it'll come up uh, titles, and you select the titles that you want, and hey, Bob's your uncle. John, what do you have to say uh, when people ask when people ask you that? I would I would say that Braille is still very relevant. Um, I have a Braille watch. It's a lot easier. You can check the time without bothering everybody with, that time is 9 o'clock. <laughs> I um, have one of those watches right now on my wrist. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I'll tell you one more thing, Devin, to answer your question. Um, I just found out recently that um, my, guide, my guide dog school in, in uh, leader dogs for the blind. When you are getting a new dog, you can get your lecture material in CD form, in MP3 form, large print form, or Braille. That's good. Everything, every pamphlet on any of their programs. If I need Braille copies, however many I need, I can get it. They have their own embosser there. So if a guide dog school doesn't think it's passe, then it shouldn't be passe. No. Uh
Justin, um, you're from a different era, of course. <laughs> I but... was just about to say that, but you beat me to the punch. <laughs> um, my stance on it. Um, yeah. Coming from a different era, I guess a more modern one, not to offend anybody in this room. <laughs> uh, I think it's still extremely relevant. Like I said, people, as much, it, it sort of reminds me of the same argument where people say there's so much audio uh, software and, and tech for those who have sight impairment and those who are fully blind. Why do you need Braille? Well, I bring up this same argument about, well, how come you don't throw away your paperbacks and your hardcovers and go right to digital? How come you don't, you know, how come you don't just read off a screen? And then they say, well, we're transitioning. I said, books will never die. Braille, neither were Braille. Braille. It, it serves its purpose because it's the equivalent to someone who has sight impairment, in my eyes, pardon the pun, as print is to a sighted person. Yeah. And how the hell could you ever do away with print? Yeah, exactly. Like, how could you ever? In order to create the audio, someone has to read the print. So why would you take away blind print? Yeah. There's, there's nothing like uh, being able to curl up with a book, <laughs> as they say. Um, okay, and then, of course, there are things like playing a card game with somebody, of course. Mm -hmm. or Scrabble, or Bingo, exactly. uh, labeling uh, cans yeah. of food. You know, um, people don't always have the $3,000 piece of equipment to uh, be able to, um, to do that sort of thing, other than with Braille. And uh, so I think um, the jury is... Uh, definitely returned on the idea of uh, Braille being very feasible today. Well, the uh, people we have here today uh, certainly uh, know their Braille and use it, it looks like a regular time. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. We incorporate it to, into many of our daytime activities and maybe even some nighttime activities. Who knows? The uh, the lady at the at the church, she will email me the uh, the, the congregational songs, and uh, again, I just download all the information on onto uh, my SD card. Or if I have a lot of time in the afternoon, and I really uh, I like to braille all the songs individually. It may take me about an hour and a half, but I practice my braille. Yeah, you, know, you it, bet. It's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to do. You know. Yes, and I use the I use the braille for the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, um, to as kind of a fitting uh, closing to the subject. After I say thank you to all of you for coming in. Um, uh, there's a song on that USB drive, Bob, called uh, by Terry Kelly. And it's called Merci Louis. And of course, Louis Braille was the inventor of Braille. He lived, was born back in 1809. And uh, after losing his sight to uh, an accident with his father's uh, saddle making tools, uh, and the eye infection spread from one to the other, um, he decided that it was important uh, to invent a way for people who are blind to be able to read readily. So a singer in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, named Terry Kelly, um, who also uses Braille, uh, wrote this song called Merci Louis. Little Louie lost his sight In his papa's workshop in the town of Coupe-Flans The saddle makers all that pierced his eye In time would help the blind to read and write For the soldiers of Napoleon's war Tactile night reading code was born And Capitan Barrier showed young Louis when the war was through 
modified it finger size to do the six dots we all use. Merci, Louis. Thank you, Louis Braille. We honor you each day with a world of reading hands. Six magic dots are the keys to the locks that free the blind to read. Je dis merci, Louis Braille. I said thank you, Louis Ray. Dearest Louis, I wish you were here to touch your gift of genius everywhere. Look about you at the blind of the world Empowered, proud men, women, boys and girls Louis, just like in your day Some say we don't need Braille But we are millions strong Singing loud and clear Viva Louis, viva Braille Merci Louis Thank you Louis Braille We honor you each day With a world of reading hands Six magic dots are the keys to the locks That free the blind to read Je dis merci, Louis Braille. I said thank you, Louis Braille. Merci, Louis. Thank you, Louis Braille. We honor you each day with a world of hands six magic dots are the keys to the locks that free the blind to read I said thank you Louis I said thank you All right, that was Terry Kelly with Merci Louis, uh, which I think is a fairly fitting way to end that particular segment of the show. And uh, uh, there is a fundraiser coming up for the um, Peterborough chapter or chapter of uh, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. And uh, I got the opportunity to chat with Candace McGuigan, who is the vice president of the chapter. Um, we pre-recorded the interview. And uh, so, um, uh, Bob, have you got that lined up for us? Already, shall we do this? Yep. Well, Candace, thanks so much for being with us and uh, for being on the program. Thank you for having us, Devin. So first of all, before we talk about the fundraising event, what is cystic fibrosis? Cystic fibrosis is a terminal genetic disease. So it is the CFTR gene that is affected, and this gene controls the full flow of salt and fluid in and out of um, our cells. So in cystic fibrosis, that CFTR gene is mutated, which causes the cell not to be able to exchange uh, the salt and fluid, which causes sticky, thick mucus to build up in the body. So someone with cystic fibrosis, their reproductive, digestive 
and most fatally in the lungs, that mucus causes the greatest danger. Oh dear. And is it um, a common disease? It's, it's not very common. It's still a rare disease, and it's an invisible disease for the most part. So most cases you cannot tell that someone has cystic fibrosis because the battle is within their body and between the systems and the fight for their breath. And uh, I imagine it uh, shows up uh, when the child is still fairly young, uh, does it? So now we have, uh, in 2008, uh, Ontario added cystic fibrosis to the newborn screening test. So that's where blood, a healed brick of blood is taken from every infant that is born in Ontario and it's sent to an Ottawa lab for detection. And uh, that's now where most of the children are diagnosed is through the newborn screening test. But there is still um, adolescents and sometimes adults being diagnosed at this time. Really? Yeah. Wow, isn't that something? They managed to make it through without the uh, usual uh, treatment regimen until they're uh, teens or young adults, eh? Yeah, so because, because it represents, so cystic fibrosis um, shows up, you can have chronic bronchitis, pneumonias, uh, People sometimes are diagnosed with severe asthma or um, when they're not gaining weight, they might have a lactose intolerance. They might think they have a lactose intolerance. Cystic fibrosis is still a little bit off the doctor's radars when people are presenting old, older with these signs and symptoms. So that's why it became really important to have it through the newborn screening test. So then this gave, this gives the doctors uh, to get a step ahead of CF and get the medications and treatments put in place before the damaging effects of the sick fibrosis takes over the body. And is, uh, as I understand it, um, the uh, patients used to have to take lots of medications and undergo um, a type of therapy at home. Is that still the case? Yeah, so they still, we've had great advancements, especially in the last five five years with different medications coming out, but everybody with cystic fibrosis has an individualized plan that is very specific to them, and it, it is a rigorous, rigorous routine uh, that they do go through. So there's still, there's mutations of cystic fibrosis where people's pancreases are not affected, so they can digest their food independently but there is a, a mutation where it affects their pancreas and they cannot digest food without enzymes, so they need to take pills before they eat or have a snack. And then these progressions are started at a young age to keep the lungs clear, and then they transition as they get older to more independent breathing and physiotherapy exercises. And there is still the progression, progression vest that um, patients can wear as well if they're not as compliant to their breathing exercises or the percussion treatments. And there's multivitamins, nasal sprays. Uh, most of them are in inhalation treatments twice a day with a puffer to just open the airways and just get everything going. Now, is the percussion that you mentioned something that um, parents or guardians would be able to do? Yes, so we're all, so as uh, parents and guardians, uh, depending where you are, if you're going to uh, the kids in Toronto or Kingston, uh, both fantastic uh, hostels close to us, and they teach us everything that we need to do to help manage the disease, and right away they start talking to the child, and, and they, they make the child take onus of uh, the disease as well and their treatment pathways, and we become more of a guiding force as parents. Ah, okay. And um, how um, are people with cystic fibrosis able to live to uh, a fair age these days? So right now the average age of survival is uh, 52.1 years. Wow. So that is uh, from when my daughter was diagnosed in 2008. It was 37 years old. Ah, okay. And that's better than it used to be, right? Correct. Yeah. So in in the 19 like in the early 1950s, 60s, uh, most 
most of them did not see kindergarten. Wow. <clears throat> My goodness, it has improved. Yes. So the gene for cystic fibrosis was detected at uh, the kids in Toronto in 1989, and they have made leaps and bounds since they have figured out the CFTR gene was the culprit and was able to get treatment pathways put in place. That's terrific. And uh, that would be thanks, uh, at least in part, to fundraising events, right? Correct, yes. So Cystic Fibrosis Canada and the chapters that run throughout uh, Canada um, work very digitally, mostly on a volunteer basis, to raise funds and to get this money into the researchers' hands and the doctors' hands and to get these specialized clinics um, to take, take care of these children and the tests that they go through when they do go into their hospital visits. It's not just a sit-down and a talk with a the doctor. They have a very vigorous um, day plan when they step into their clinics for pulmonary function testing, blood work, x-rays, their dietitians, physiotherapists, respiratory therapists. That's quite a hands-on uh, visit when you get to your clinic. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the pancreas, as we were a couple of uh, minutes ago, is the other part of the other function of the pancreas ever uh, uh, affected? Uh, does, uh, does the insulin balance uh, stay pretty much the way it should be? Uh, it's, it's a matter of time before the mucus uh, encapsulates the whole pancreas and uh, affects the function of the insulin producing. So they, there is CF-related diabetes. So in most cases, clinics will start testing um, patients that are pancreatic-affected at 10 years old for uh, diabetes to make sure they can stay on top of it. But in most cases, they will go to an insulin pump. Ah, I see. So um, there is a fundraiser coming up here in Peterborough. I believe it's next weekend, right? Called Saves for CF? Yeah, Saves for Cystic Fibrosis is on Saturday, January 11th with the Peterborough Peace uh, at the Memorial Center. And how does that work? So we sell, so our committee here in Peterborough, we sell tickets uh, for the Peterborough Peace uh, game. And from the adult tickets, $7 of those tickets goes back to Cystic Fibrosis Canada. And then we run a silent auction as well as the Chuck-a-Puck uh, prizing. So money raised from silent auction and Chuck-a-Puck goes back. And we have the helpful hands of the fire rescue students from Sir Sanford Fleming. They'll be there collecting donations. And then this year, which is uh, new, the Peets are actually wearing alumni jerseys that will be auctioned off online after the game, and the proceeds will go back to Cystic Fibrosis Canada as well. Oh, terrific. Yes. Yeah. So do people have to register in advance to take uh, part in the Chuck-a-Puck? So you can buy the Chuck-a-Pucks on game night. So there'll be three tables, the main lobby, east lobby, and just outside the club sections. And pucks will, or one puck is for $5, and three pucks are for 10 And uh, when it's time, people throw it on there, and there's three prizes to be won at, at the end of it. Oh, very good. That's great. Um, can you tell us what the prizes are now, or is that a secret? We're still ironing them out, so I do know for sure the first prize will include a Memorial Cup coin, and uh, we second and third prizes is most likely going to be for a gift certificate from Chumley's and Fireside Subs. Okay, well that both of those sound terrific as well. Mm-hmm. And the silent auction will have a signed replica jersey from the Peterborough Peace. And then we have a jersey from the CHL um, from a player last year. And uh, one of the games there has signed a jersey, and we'll have that as well. Wonderful. That's great. Um, if someone wanted to get uh, further information on anything that we've been talking about, is there a way they can do that? 
can go to the Peterborough Peets website and they can go under community engagement and there is a write-up on uh, their website of Saves for CF as well as a direct link to Drew in the Peterborough Peets office for if you want to get tickets. Um, you can get them through Drew or through myself as well as on our Facebook page for Cystic Fibrosis Canada Peterborough Chapter. There is information for game night and has pictures of pricing that is coming in. Okay, so if they want to contact you, they should go to uh, uh, the Facebook page, should they? They can go to the Facebook page or they can direct email me at CandiceHarding at Hotmail.com. Okay, and would there be a, a dot or anything between Candace and Harding, or no? No, it's all one word. Okay, terrific. Is there anything else that I should have been asking you about? No, I think we hit it all there. I think we did pretty good. All right, <laughs> terrific. Well, all the best of luck uh, with that, and, um, and uh, thanks for coming on the program. Thank you so much, Devin. And that was Candace McGuigan talking to us about the uh, 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 saves for um, CF or cystic fibrosis, which will be taking place on this coming Saturday, uh, January 11th, at the uh, Pete's game. So if you want to get involved, uh, put uh, 5 or $10 aside for some pucks and you'll be able to do your thing. Uh, the one thing, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, Bob, that's happening, and uh, I mentioned that this Thursday is the meeting of the uh, Canadian Council of the Blind, or CCB, which I will need to go to because I'm secretary of that organization. <laughs> but um, there's also uh, the president of the Peterborough Astronomy Association who is going to be talking at the Salvation Army uh, at, uh, I think, 10 o'clock uh, about uh, how people with disabilities can uh, get involved in astronomy and uh, I'm hoping he'll record that for us so that uh, we can play it here. Um, but uh, anyway, I did want to make mention of that. Well, you know, uh, let's wish everybody a very happy 2020, uh, prosperous new year. And we'll be back next Monday. And Devin, what have you got lined up for us then? Uh, well, um, there are several organizations uh, that um, deal with uh, blindness-related subjects who are going to be having uh, what they're calling a Vision 2020 Summit. And we're going to be talking with Doug Earle about that uh, summit. And we'll see who else I get lined up uh, to uh, chat with us between now and then. Well, there's certainly a lot of interest, and today, learning about Braille and uh, the people that are still using Braille, and I'm sure that there is a lot of other, uh, shall we say, things that people can use as means of accessing whatever information they want. Yeah. So anyway, you folks have a good week, and uh, we hope to talk uh, next uh, Monday between 4 and 5 on Insight Peterborough.